This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, and welcome back, everyone. I think we all agree that one of the great things about baseball is the stories we get from one generation to the next. As I've gotten the chance to speak with players from several great eras, occasionally get to chat with someone like Jack Aker. It's probably not a name you immediately recognize, but his career was quite interesting. Aker's decade-plus in the majors includes a few Forrest Gump-like moments that make him a joy to speak with, and I think you'll understand why after listening to this episode. Jack Aker spent 11 years in the majors from 1964 through 74. Did you know that while almost 18,000 people have played in the majors since 1900, only a little over 3,000 of them have played 10 or more years? Yeah, and Aker's one of them. As relief pitching started to gain a true foothold, Aker was one of the first aces out of the bullpen with the Kansas City Athletics. He led the American League with 32 saves in 1966 and was named Fireman of the Year by the Sporting News. He even earned a few MVP votes that year. Aker was one of the first player reps in the new Players Union, and after many battles with A's owner Charlie Finley, the valuable reliever was let go in the expansion draft and picked up by the Seattle Pilots. Aker spent less than two months with Seattle, but he spent enough time in the bullpen next to Jim Bouton that he was mentioned 14 different times in Bouton's epic diary of that season, Ball 4. Aker was traded to the Yankees that year, and he spent parts of four seasons in the Yankees' bullpen before finishing out his career with brief stints with the Cubs, Braves, and Mets. Among his gump-like moments, well, how about pitching out of the pen in the final Major League appearance by 59-year-old Satchel Paige in 1965? Or being on the mound when PA announcer Bob Shepard stopped the game on a Sunday afternoon in 1969 to tell the crowd Apollo 11 astronauts had landed on the moon. And then there's the time Aker was standing in the Braves' bullpen, poised, but not quite close enough to catch Hank Aaron's 715th home run ball. And after Aker's playing days, he was a successful minor league manager, including a stink that if the fates had turned differently, could have had Aker managing the 86 Mets instead of Davey Johnson. Jack Aker is now 80 years old. He lives in Arizona. He spoke to me last week, just a few days before he was to receive his second COVID shot. For a look back on a pretty amazing baseball life, plus a brief interlude with a mule playing the role of the bullpen cart, here is my conversation with Jack Aker, beginning with his rise to the big leagues with the 1964 Kansas City A's. Well, let me give you a little bit of the history of the Kansas City A's during those years. Uh, our owner wasn't real sure, I don't think, when he bought that club that it, he wanted to have a baseball team or a circus. <laughs> You're speaking he, of Charlie he, Finley. He, yes, and he uh, he uh, bought the brightest, gaudiest, worst-looking uniforms I'd ever seen at, at any level, Major League or Class A. And uh, there was uh, many things about it. Uh, I don't know if you might, you're probably too young. You probably were never in the old Kansas City Stadium. No, Municipal Stadium. No, I was not. 
Municipal Stadium down the left field line uh, within the stadium. Uh, he had a uh, uh, corral built and he brought in this mule, a huge mule. He must have been 10 feet tall at the shoulder and named him Charlie O and put him in that uh, pen so that all the fans could watch the mule if the game got too boring, I guess. <laughs> but he decided that wasn't enough. And so he decided, well, I know what I'll do. I'll have my starting pitcher, after he's warmed up, ride in from the bullpen to the mound on the mule. Oh, wow. And he tried it a couple of times, and the fans, I don't know if the fans appreciated it, but they were laughing about it. <laughs> and about the about the third time he tried it, uh, we had a young pitcher. He came up about the same time I did. His name was Lou Krause. And uh, he was actually uh, uh, one of the first players picked uh, by in the draft the year before. He, he was a good-looking young pitcher. Had him, uh, he was starting the game, so he was riding in on the mule. And as, he, as the mule got close to the mound, somebody in the stands threw a cup of, of something, Coke or water or something, and scared the mule. <laughs> and the mule's reared up on his hind legs, which I said, he's a huge mule, and now he's rearing up. So there's Lou Krause, got both hands <laughs> hanging onto the, the mule's mane, and screaming, get me off of here, get me <laughs> off of here. <laughs> well, the, the grounds, grounds crew, they ran out immediately, and it took them a few minutes cause the, to get him down off of it. And... Uh, we uh, we had an emergency meeting of the players after that game, and uh, during that time, we said, "Listen, all the pitchers, especially, were definitely didn't want any part of that, making a joke out of the game. Number one and number two being dangerous." And so, uh, uh, I had been elected. Uh, player representative for the team at that time and so as a result I got the pleasant uh, job of going up to the front office and telling our owner that uh, we weren't going to ride the mule <laughs> and he, that was the only time that I ever talked to him when he was almost speechless Really, he, he didn't even ask any questions because I think some of the front office people that were sitting with them up in the stands when they saw what happened, I'm sure they told him, Charlie, this is dangerous. That's, that's one of your prized young picks that, that almost got thrown off and he could have broken his neck. Wow. So, so anyhow, the mule, the mule stayed in his pen, but he, he stayed in the stadium. He, he had to duck once in a while. Foul balls would get, in, <laughs> get into his, it was right down the left field line. But anyhow, there was, uh, it was, it was good to be in the major leagues, but uh, for it took me a couple of years to really get used to saying this is the major leagues. You know, when we traveled around the league and went to other cities, uh, and usually we didn't do too well. We were uh, that time. I think there was ten teams in the league, and we were always either last or next to last the first couple of years. And then, uh, then the third year, they had gotten rid of our other short reliever, other closer, and so uh, I was sort of given the job, and turned out to be the best year I ever had. And uh, I think I had thirty some odd saves, most in the American League. I thought I'm I'm making seven thousand dollars. This is my altogether. It was my third year in the major leagues. However, I been only up a month in the first time and, and only half a season the second time. So making $7,000, I had in my mind, oh, I'm gonna, I've got to get some good money off of this. So I got my contract in the mail, and it was for $9,000, mm-hmm. which I took as uh, an insult to begin with. But it wasn't until I, I looked in the newspaper that day, and the owners had just passed a new rule that minimum salary 
in the major leagues was going up from 7,000, which I'd been making, <laughs> to 9,000. <000. laughs> so Charlie and his, on the phone, I called him right after I received the contract to complain about it. Right on the phone, he, he kept telling me, Jack, I gave you a $2,000 raise. <laughs> and, of course, I I held my tongue for a little bit, and then I got kind of ticked off. And I said, Charlie, every every rookie in the league got a $2,000 raise because they're all making 9000 That's the minimum now. And he just uh, continued to be stiff about it, and so I hung up. <laughs> and I just waited, and spring training was starting now, so now I'm starting to miss practice time. And I wanted to get this over with, but I certainly didn't want to make the same thing as everybody else after I had the best year I'd ever, well, it turned out to be the best year I ever had. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I tried to think of a way that, that I could get this settled, and finally I came up with it. I knew, I knew his ego was it was huge. And so I, I called him and I told him, if you give, if you double my salary, I will make sure the press learns about it. So everybody can see how generous you are as an owner. Mm -hmm. And he said, you will do that? I said, sure. I don't mind, which I didn't. I didn't mind telling yeah. the press. I would be embarrassed. Nowadays, I was a little bit embarrassed then, yeah. but uh, and so he said, "I'll get the contract in the mail to you tomorrow," and he did. Wow! So uh, that was only that was my first uh, run in with him. But of course, being a player rep for four out of the five years I was with him, uh, there was a lot of a lot of things that came up. There always are, you know. There's you got 25 players in the room. Somebody's going to have a, a problem every day that they want want to. They don't want to go. Up. Nobody wants to go up and talk to Charlie personally. Yeah. And so, so they would say, uh, "Hey, Jack, you're the player rep. I need you to run up to the office." And sh sure enough, and so Charlie got tired of me, and I was definitely tired of him <laughs> by the time I left there. Yeah, well, I mean, it couldn't have been easy being a player rep in those early days of the union and going up against an owner like Charlie Finley. What were some of those requests from the players that kept sending you to the office? What were those conversations like? Oh, there was there was always something. Uh, there could be very minor, like uh, a couple of the other players felt the same way I did about the uniforms and made me go up and argue about we ought to at least change our home uniform. And, uh, of course, Charlie would just hear me out and then he'd say, I'll talk to you later. And there was never, later never came. <laughs> and, uh, oh, the other problem was that, uh, you know, players get uh, free tickets for their family. Mm -hmm. Well, usually that's, that's anywhere from four to six people. But occasionally a player will come in, and of course he's he's made a lot of friends around his neighborhood, yeah. wherever else, and so he's asking for fifteen or sixteen. If the prevalent secretary didn't clear it up right away, then they would come to me. So you got to go up and tell him I've got all all these people coming. But the the thing that was so maddening about it is not like we were selling out every night. Yeah, right. In fact, right, in fact, right. in fact <laughs> with a 10th place club in a 10, ten uh, team league, <laughs> you're not selling. You're lucky if you get half of them sold out. Uh, and so uh, there was plenty of seats available, and uh, but Charlie wanted every dime, and so usually I had lost all of those. He, <laughs> He he always he kept a note I think of every time he gave somebody an extra ticket because he would start spouting out well so and so I I gave him ten and I gave so and so nine and so I would uh, end up those arguments didn't last long I I gave him I would I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't argue with him on that point seeing half empty stadium I wanted. I wanted him to be prosperous, so maybe he'd be a little more generous with us. 
Jack, I'm going to backtrack again in a moment, but I'm curious now, given all your experience with Charlie Finley in those years in Kansas City, just a few years later when he's winning World Series with the A's now in Oakland and he's winning three in a row um, and he's he's leading one of the best teams in history, I'm curious what your reaction was watching all of that on a different team. Well, my... I, I definitely was not surprised by it because while I was uh, with the, the Kansas City A's, of course, in spring training, all those young, uh, the young, good young players came to the major league camp. And so I saw Sal Bando and, and Catfish Hunter and, and all these other good, good players uh, in spring training. In fact, I, I kept telling some of the older players Man, you guys better have good years because we got some good young players in spring training. So uh, I, I, tr- I moved with uh, the A's when they moved to Oakland. So I played one year in Oakland. And uh, we didn't win the pennant, but we were much improved over the ones they had before. And uh, their, uh, the young pitchers they brought up were all good. And uh, Catfish, of course, he was a star right from the start. I think I think they signed him at 18 years old or something. By 20, he was known by everybody in the league. Uh, so I wasn't surprised about it, and uh, I was happy for the players, especially the players that uh, I had played with, that uh, they got to taste both the 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 gray the sour grapes being on the last place team, and now here they are, <laughs> world champions. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have one problem uh, when I pitched against them. They saw me. They saw me pitch so many years that they all knew what I threw and where, how I liked to pitch. And so, as a result, they were a very tough team for me to face. Well, after about after they kicked me around about three times. I, I thought to myself, why can they hit me? And they don't hit any of those other guys much. And so I said, well, I know what it is. They think, because I was an A with them for five years, that uh, they're all my brothers, and I won't do anything about it if they dig in and, and all that stuff. And so I made up my mind that I'm going to have to take charge of this. And so... The next time I pitched, the first player I faced, uh, I hit him in the back. I tried to hit him right in the butt, but I hit him in the, <laughs> a little bit high. I hit him in the back. And as a result, uh, the hitting stopped off of me. Oh. I pitched uh, three or four innings that day, and after that first guy got hit, I, I gave up my normal... You know, I always I always gave up a lot of ground ball hits because I was a sinker ball pitcher. Mm-hmm. So I gave up my, I don't remember sure now, two or three hits in the next couple of innings. But they weren't hitting balls off the fence or over the fence <laughs> or anything like that off of me. And they never did after that the rest of my career. That's a great story. But uh, yeah. Charlie, Charlie spent money to build that team. He, he, had to, he had to do a lot of finagling to come up and he... He must have, I didn't know everybody that uh, worked for him as far as scouts and things like that, but he must have had some good people working because they really got the cream of the crop on the the drafts. Jack, I'm curious what you remember about the game on September 25th, 1965. It's when Satchel Paige comes out of his you know, somewhat retirement. He hadn't pitched in the major leagues for several years, but he comes up to pitch a game for Kansas City. He throws three scoreless innings. You finished that game for the A's. You threw an inning and a third scoreless. The uh, Red Sox yeah. won the game 5-2, to two, but it's a night that you combined with Satchel Page on four and a third scoreless innings. What do you remember about it? <laughs> well, uh, this thing uh, that I was the story of telling you about the mule and, and things like that and the uniforms, uh, this fit right in with our being a circus, you know. <laughs> All those we didn't. I don't. I never heard about Satchel Page coming. I don't know if anybody else did, but I didn't until I arrived at the clubhouse that day, and there he was. And I went over to to meet him. I'd never met him before. 
didn't know a whole lot about his history. But I started asking some of the other players around and a couple of guys who read up on things like that, they, they were starting to tell me about his great uh, his great control, especially. That impressed everybody. I mean, he did, he he had a good arm, but as I remember him, he wasn't a, a ninety you know ninety three mile an hour guy like everybody is now. But uh, so uh, the game starts and and uh, our dugouts are sunk in the ground. We could we were looking at ground level when we looked out of the dugout. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> before the, just before the game started, here comes a couple of the clubhouse guys and they're carrying a rocking chair, <laughs> a big old rocking chair, and they set it right beside the bullpen. Later, the players came out. He sits down in the chair as if he were in his living room, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where he. Pre- that's where he watched the first part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets up and he starts throwing. And I asked around, how old is this guy? And he, I mean, he looked older than, than what he, I, I think he's supposed to have been 50 or a little over. About 59, yeah. Even, he looked even older than that. Wow. Uh, but he started throwing. And uh, even though he didn't, uh, he didn't knock the catcher's glove off, Every pitch he threw was a strike warming up. I, I got in, I just uh, was fixated on how good a control this guy has at his age. And so he went out and he made it look easy for three innings. I mean, just, and, and, and his whole, the whole thing about pitching was he always told me and everybody else that if the first pitch is a strike, that hitter is halfway out. Even though he gets three strikes, he's he, the first one's so important that if you throw a first pitch strike, you're going to be uh, all right. That's and still that's pretty good advice, he, isn't it? It's still probably the best advice I ever got. And that I kept it with me the whole time that I pitched. And I always tried to do that. Even, even with a dangerous hitter, uh, I, always, I always felt like if I can get up on him by one pitch, then then I've got him. Uh, I, then I can do whatever I want from there on. It was uh, it was it was strange, but uh, he did. He went through those three innings, and I didn't count his pitches, but I doubt if it was over thirty-five or forty. Wow! And uh, then I, I I was so impressed by him, and over the years. I, I've even forgotten that I pitched in that game, too. I, I don't remember any part of my pitching because uh, he was the whole story that day. He was on my mind. He was on my mind for a couple of days. I wanted to see I wanted to see if the day after he goes three innings, you know, if he's going to be on a disabled list or anything. <laughs> no, he's out. And he he didn't, didn't run, you know, uh, when we warm up before a game. He would jog a little bit. And then he would toss the ball like half speed, play and catch. Mm-hmm. And that was it until he actually warmed up in the bullpen. Actually, it was a good promotion. We, if I remember right, our, our crowd number went up quite a bit for oh. the next couple of, couple of days. The next, you know, a couple of years later, you, got, you were part of something else that a lot of baseball fans might not have, uh, have remembered that you were part of this because you were only there for a little while, but in the first couple of months of the 69 season, you were with the Seattle pilots and that season is famous only because Jim Bouton took a lot of notes and wrote about it. You're mentioned quite a bit in ball four um, with, uh, with Bouton as one of the bullpen guys there. What do you remember about that short time playing with him and, uh, and that experience in Seattle? Well, the first, the first thing is how did I get there? Uh, in between seasons, uh, they had a draft yeah. where Seattle and uh, Kansas uh, was it Kansas City? Yeah, I think it was Kansas City was the other team that was drafting. Well, I was at that time. I wasn't considered the number one closer. There was uh, Diego Segui. Oh, sure, was on our team, and he and I we shared the closing, and. Uh, even though I'd had a great year before, they also let Diego uh, close too. 
Well, Diego got drafted the first first uh, round, so he was off of our team in Kansas City, and so I didn't even think about it. I I say, well, I, I, they got to keep me. I'm the only uh, experienced closer. Well, the second round, I got picked. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I was scratching my head, and I, I kept I looked at a couple of guys, and I said, why did, how can he do that? How can he lose his two closers, the first two picks? And finally, I don't remember, one of our writer guys said, "You, Charlie is not your friend. <laughs> yeah. He, he was going to get rid of you no matter what, and it, even if he lost his other closer in the first round, he still wanted you to go too. <laughs> so, and that was all because so, your history is a union rep, right? He, that's right. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, so that that was a unique experience. I uh, uh, wasn't up there very long, and I remember Bouton pitching, and I remember Bouton was very jealous. He wanted to be the closer, mm-hmm. and uh, at that time he was he was just learning how to be a relief pitcher you know he'd been a starter his whole life and uh so i was getting the the chances at closing the only game i remember is the very first game we played and uh, i got a save in that one personally i i didn't feel any bad things about Downton, and i'm surprised years later when i read his book except that i knew that he he had a little grudge because i was getting the the chances it saves and he wasn't uh it was there such a short time the only thing i remember from that and i have to excuse myself i've forgotten the names of so many guys Mm -hmm. but but our manager who i liked very well he he was a nice guy he was fair and he knew the situation that everybody on his team had been more or less given up on by their teams and that's why how they all ended up in seattle that's uh i believe uh, that was joe schultz was that the guy joe schultz yeah. yeah that's the name so i was only there uh i guess a month or two yeah and he called me in the office one day as soon as i got to the ballpark and that's unusual i knew something was up he <laughs> called me in and he, he <laughs> joe schultz was loose this is before the game he calls me in and he says, sit down, Jack. Hey, you want a beer? <laughs> I said, Joe, we haven't played the game yet. <laughs> he said, well, listen, I got something to tell you. Uh, you've been traded. And I said, oh, well, it didn't tear me up because, you know, playing on an on a expansion team, I knew we, we, we'd be lucky to be out of the cellar. I was a little bit down. I said, ah, Joe, you know, I'm having a good time here. And he said, yeah, you're doing a good job, but we've traded you. And I said, well, who to? He said, the New York Yankees. And I said, holy cow, I've dreamed my whole life of playing for the New York Yankees, man. Really? Oh, God. as, As a young kid, that's the first team I ever heard of. I, at that time, and that was before television, before any games were televised. Sure. But I knew who the Yankees were, and uh, I knew knew a lot of the history of them. The trade uh, to the Yankees, Jack, ended up uh, providing you some pretty good years. You had four years at the Yankees, and you had uh, a couple of pretty good ones, including a string where you had 33 consecutive scoreless innings. Uh, yeah, that was the first. First 33 innings I was with them. Wow. That was, uh, was somebody, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Ralph knew. Uh, Ralph Houck was the manager. And he, by the way, was, I had a lot of managers. He was the best one I ever had. Mm. Uh, his uh, his way with players, I mean, he all those guys know, know their baseball. But his way with players was so great. And I, I guess it's uh, it was military training. Mm-hmm. He, he knew how to, he knew how to talk to people, and how to get get tough when he had to, and be soft when he you know, he should. So uh, yeah, I I got off to a great start with him, and but uh, really I didn't realize I knew that I 
was getting up there in innings and I still hadn't given up a run, but, uh, you know, you, you don't want to think about things that are happening good because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the minute you start thinking about them, that's over with. The day I finally gave up runs and I got knocked out of the game, Ralph came to the mound and he said, you're not accustomed to me coming out here, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to take you out of this one. <laughs> I, I thought about it later he just gave me a great compliment yeah and, uh, yeah that's right it went right over my head at the time <laughs> <laughs> well part of that streak jack is in the summer of 1969 and uh i was not aware of this actually until very recently uh and the yankees actually brought you back to commemorate this but on July 20th, 1969, the day of the moon landing, uh, baseball stadiums all across the country on a Sunday afternoon are, you know, the games are happening yeah. while this is going on. At Yankee Stadium, Bob Shepard stopped the game with an announcement to the crowd that men had landed on the moon, and you were actually on the mound pitching while this was happening. I was. And uh, I, I grew up on a farm, and I, I wasn't that wild that informed about what's important in this world and what isn't. And I was uh, right in the middle of an inning and they made an announcement on the PA system that the game would stop. And I looked around like, "Ah, you can't stop this. It's a major (laughs) league game. And all all the players were heading for the dugout and I didn't know what to do really. And uh, so I thought, well, this is only going to, they they announced what, what why they were stopping, and I thought, well, that they'll they'll land and then uh, that'll be it. Uh, I'll just stay out here on the mound. Well, I was standing there and almost by myself. I think maybe a couple other players stayed on the field, and uh, I looked up. I looked up at the scoreboard, and they uh, actually were keeping track of what was going on. And uh, they didn't have a picture scoreboard at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in moving. Yeah. They they could put up a photograph, but that was all. But they did, uh, the announcer then came on, and uh, he kept us up to date. And, and uh, I just kind of wandered around out on the mound. I never did, go, <laughs> never, never did go to the dugout. I think I finally sat down on the grass. <laughs> and... Uh, Everybody was on a buzz. All the people in the stands, I could hear them up there. They're all talking about this is the greatest thing. You know, this is the first time ever. And all I was thinking to myself, I wish they were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out, and over the years, uh, I think uh, not most, but some people that uh, run into me, they they remind me of that. Hmm. The fan, the, the, as many people know that as knew that, Knew that uh, I led, well, a lot more than that knew that I led the league in saves the, the good year I had. There's one other but moment, Jack, that a lot more people would probably know your name if, you know, I, I guess probably just a matter of a few feet. You were with the Atlanta Braves in 1974, and you're in the bullpen when Hank Aaron hits home run number 715. The ball lands uh, in Tom House's glove. But you were just a couple of steps away, weren't you? I've I've not spoken to Tom House since that day. <laughs> <laughs> what we did is we we all when it got down to the record, uh, a chance to break the record that game. Everybody in the bullpen got together and we said, "Okay, we're not going to fight over this ball. So why don't we get each guy take a, an area, just like we're." Facing out now for the COVID. Yeah, yeah. Stay six feet apart, <laughs> and we'll cover the we'll cover the whole bullpen, and whoever gets it gets it. Okay. So the ball was hit, and I'm. It wasn't hit right at me or anywhere that close. So I just stood still and watched the flight of the ball. And as I'm, as the ball gets close to the bullpen, there goes Tommy House running down. <laughs> he, he was about three guys away, probably 18 or 20 feet away when the ball was hit. <laughs> and he ran down and uh, he, he grabbed it. And he just kept running. He grabbed it and he went out the door and ran all the way to home plate with the ball. But uh, I, I, I always thought, Tommy, you little... He, Tommy wanted... Tommy loved the camera. 
<laughs> so he he would say or do anything, you know, to get a little notoriety. So I always thought that's that's what he did. He he knew that uh, there were going to be a a dozen cameras down on the field at home plate. So anyhow, I don't think I ever talked to him after that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jack, it must have been a, a, a an amazing experience just being at the park the night that happened. Oh, it was. It was. Uh, Hank was so good, you know. You, you, a hitter like him, you know that uh, even though he hasn't hit one for two or three games, that's when he's most dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and it, his whole life, his whole career, right up to when he retired, he was just. Uh, I thought, I thought he was the best power hitter that I ever faced. And uh, I only faced him a few times. I have to tell you one of them, though, that I mentioned a while ago about players having these uh, things that you never talk about. Mm -hmm. Another thing, when I was uh, traded to the Cubs uh, in their clubhouse, when uh, uh, Hank and his team came into town, one of the sports writers went around our clubhouse and asked every pitcher, how many has Hank Aaron hit off of you? And I didn't know that's what he was talking about as he went around the room. And then he came down to me and he said, uh, Jack, how many uh, home runs does Hank get off of you? And I said, don't ever, ever ask a pitcher that. <laughs> <laughs> For number one, he might have hit 10 off of me and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but what's worse than that, he might not have ever hit one off of me, which which was the case. Yeah. Well, of course, in about the seventh or eighth inning that day, I got called in and Hank was hitting and you know where the ball landed. (laughs) 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 Oh, I, that sports writer, I got him again after that game, man. I said, see, <laughs> see, see, that's why we don't talk about the good things. That's over. <laughs> Jack, you had a, a really successful career as a manager and as a coach, and I've, I've spoken to a couple of people that played for you, and they had you know glowing things to say about you but one of the things that I was uh, that I found interesting was that you managed the Mets AAA team in 1982 in Tidewater and the Mets were starting to really get some really good players through the system and within a couple of years they'd be one of the best teams in baseball the manager you won the Governor's Cup in 1982 at Tidewater the very next year Davey Johnson is their manager and he goes on to end up managing the big league team managing them to you know the 86 World Series uh you know from people I've spoken to it's like that could just as easily have been you uh you were not that far removed from being a guy who could have jumped to the major league managing job and then perhaps taken the the Mets on one of their rides that was a one of the one of the worst times in my life was when Davey Johnson uh, joined the, the Mets organization, and then I found out he was going to come. He was going to come down to uh, the AAA club and be my coach. And the reason being was somebody said, "Well, Davey has never managed, and we want you to teach him how to manage." And I said. Did you ever think that maybe I thought maybe I could have the major league job someday? And they said, no, no, we really hadn't considered. We normally don't have pitchers, ex-pitchers as uh, managers. I said, well, so uh, what you guys want me to do, you want me to train the guy who's going to take the job I want. (laughs) And I said, thanks, but no thanks. He said, I've, I've managed, I think I ended up managing, I don't know, 10 or 11 years. And uh, I said, uh, maybe somewhere else I can, I can find something. And so I quit. I quit the Mets. I walked out. Wow. And, uh, and uh, then I started regretting it because uh, I wasn't getting that many offers. I even went to the major league meetings during the off season to talk to as many people as I could. And uh, the only thing I could get was uh, Cleveland needed a Class A manager. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, 
they also needed a class A pitching coach. So they asked me if I'd be a pitching coach one year and then they'd see about the managing. Well, I was hoping they would say, uh, you know, triple A or a coach on the major league club, but uh, they didn't at first. So I, I spent a year or two in their minor leagues and then they made some changes and uh, they, they let, had me come up and uh, be their major league pitching coach. Mm-hmm. So that was as close as I ever got back to managing major leagues. It uh, it wasn't that wasn't that I thought that was the end all being a major league manager. It's just that after after you stay at one level, like after I finished five years at the A level with the Mets, I, I actually I called the farm director and told him, you know, I really love this organization, and at that time they had a lot of good young prospects in the minor leagues. I said, and I really. Uh, I've enjoyed these young guys, especially, but I've, I've felt now five, after five years, actually, I think it might've been six. Uh, I want, I would like to work with some of the older guys. And so they said, well, that's a good idea. So they gave me, moved me up to AAA. And, uh, that was, that was my reward because at A-Ball in uh, Virginia, I think we'd won the league. Uh, three times, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, moved over to AAA, and and those good young players were showing up there too, <laughs> and so we we uh, had a great time. We had uh, had good teams there both years, but then after I left the Mets, it's, uh, I spent a little time. Uh, actually, I went to Cleveland after the Mets. Finally, finally, just. Uh, Decided I I I I don't want to be traveling all over the country, living in all these minor league towns, and uh, so I think I'm I'm going to hang it up. So I quit. So Jack, I'm curious what your thoughts were when you were watching a lot of players that you knew and managed win the World Series with the Mets in '86. Oh, I was proud of them. I was I was pulling for all of them. They didn't contact me much back in those days when they were still playing. But uh, after they quit or got got released or whatever, then I hear from some of them all the time. Hmm. I mean, uh, hardly a month goes by that I don't get a phone call or a letter from from an ex-player. And I think it's because I respected all of them. And I taught them uh, that I, I, I talked to them in a grown-up manner, I didn't. I didn't talk to them. Even the A players. I had kids who were, well, actually, I had a couple who were only sixteen years old, who barely spoke English. Hmm. And uh, but most of them were uh, anywhere from eighteen to twenty. Uh, they, we didn't sign too many twenty-year-olds to play in A ball, mm-hmm. but I had a couple. So most of them were teenagers, and. Uh, I taught them, I talked to them the same way as I talked to the AAA players and the same way as I talked to major league players when I was pitching coach. And the players appreciated it, I guess, because uh, I tried to be honest with them, tell them if they're doing a good job, a great job, or poor job. Uh, it hurt me as much as it did them when I had uh, the killer, the thing that just, I hated every year, the releases I had to give. Yeah. Uh, especially in A-ball, those kids who were 18 years old and everybody, their parents, all their friends, everybody was talking about them playing in the major leagues. And here I was going to have to release them when they were they hadn't even gotten their feet wet, really. Mm. Wow. So that, was, that was the hard part of it. Jack, the last thing I want to ask you about is, is where you think that the game has gone, especially with the relief pitching. You made your mark as a relief pitcher. You led the league in saves in 1966. You had 32 saves. But relief pitching still hadn't um, really taken hold the way it would in years to come. I think one of the guys, I think you uh, briefly crossed paths with Raleigh Fingers in Oakland as he was coming up and becoming a relief ace. Now we have right. people that are in the Hall of Fame. It's not just closers, but their you know relief roles have become so important uh, throughout the game. Uh, what do you think about the direction the game has taken, especially with relief pitching, given that that's kind of where you made your mark as a player? My, my first feeling was that uh, I always felt like 
good relievers were the same as good starters. That uh, And what I meant by good was, you know, guys who you could count on almost every time they go out there, they're going to shut the door. And uh, so I've, I've always, I, I don't know if it was, I never had a desire to be a starting pitcher. I, I was in the minor leagues before I came up, but uh, I, I was, uh, I enjoyed the relief aspect of, I almost felt like an everyday player that every game we played, I had a chance to get into. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that I've seen is there's more good relievers now. Every team has got two or three guys at least. Some of them may, may even have four or five who are excellent pitchers. And probably, I would guess that probably two-thirds of those relievers were starters when they were in the minor leagues. Sure. So, but you hardly ever heard of a starter becoming a good reliever. But one thing we were very proud of is that I was, one thing that I had with the Yankees that was so good is we had very good bullpen every year I was there. Mm. Uh, we had right, right-handers, we had left-handers. And, uh, so it, it really, uh, it became a, we had our own little team out there. The, the second half of the ball game was our, our game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I see nowadays, I think more teams have more good relievers. Uh, maybe they have too many. Cause, mm. uh, the, mo- the thing that will keep you sharp if you're a relief pitcher is getting in a lot of games. You know, you can't stay sharp just throwing on the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you get uh, if you get to the point where you've got three or four guys who you who you pitch, and they some that don't uh, get to pitch much at all, the thing that that bothers me is I see well everybody everybody throws nineties now. Yeah, and uh, nobody is really trying to. It's, it seems to me nobody is re- realizing that the hitters are also hitting the same speed now. Mm. That's why the home, home runs are up because more pitchers are fastball pitchers. I, I have a nephew uh, who can throw in the 90s. Mm. Uh, he's, he's signed by St. Louis. Uh, only a, He's only into it uh, the two years. Mm-hmm. But uh, he doesn't have a you know, an off-speed pitch. That's why every time I've talked to him, I, I ask about how's your slider or your curveball. You got either one? Or, <laughs> well, they're coming. They're coming. <laughs> but uh, uh, even if you've got great control, like Catfish Hunter, if you just continually throw hard, you're going to get hit. If you make a, a little slip you, and you're not hitting the corners of the plate. So I see a, a lot more of the... the Relief pitchers, especially, who try to just get by with pumping as hard as they can throw, and uh, that's in fact some of them don't even worry about base runners. I've, I've <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, yeah. I see some guys taking leads that they never should have taken, and uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I always uh, I admire the relief pitchers because I know what every one of them is going through when he when he goes out there. I keep thinking about the Yankees. They, they've, they've successfully got maybe the number one starting pitcher now. Mm-hmm. Uh, their reliever, though, the big guy, uh, Chapman, I have a hunch he is losing a little bit. His, he's just strictly a, a hardball thrower. And once he loses that few miles an hour on that thing, it's, he's not going to be the pitcher he was when he's younger. I, I love I love relief pitchers. I I like for them to come in, work fast, and throw strikes. You know, don't don't let the game get in the doldrums. You put your own team to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, that's more or less my life story. <laughs> it's a, it's a good one. Life has, my life has been baseball. I I just. Sometimes I'm amazed when I actually start thinking back. God, I, I can't believe I got to play with this Hall of Famer and that Hall of Famer, and I pitched against this Hall of Famer. When I started thinking about it, I said, "How many young guys would give give 
anything to have the opportunities I had. So I, I just, I just so lucky and so uh, respect. Uh, that's why I respect the game. And I just, uh, uh, it's very, very heartwarming. And then guys like you call and want to actually talk to me. <laughs> then, then you make me feel like a big deal, make me feel like I was a Hall of Famer or something. My thanks to Jack Aker for sharing some wonderful stories with me. Also, a special thank you to his son, Adam Sharnenaker, for arranging it. Adam is a member of the Yankees Pro Scouting Department, and together we've been trying to get Jack back for an old-timers day at the stadium. Hopefully, we'll have one of those again sometime soon, you know? And uh, maybe we can catch up with Jack and all the other returning Yankee greats. Won't that be fun? Hey, if you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com and Apple Podcasts. You can hear great conversations like my recent one with DJ Dozier, the former Penn State All-American, who was a two-sports star with the Vikings and the Mets in the early 1990s. Or you can check out my chat with Robert Kamen, the screenwriter of the original Karate Kid, who loves Cobra Kai and has even written a Karate Kid musical. Head over to Radio.com or Apple Podcasts, subscribe, review, and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.